If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair. I'm here with Sherry Hu, one of my favorite music industry, and I think, I, I would say, it's not just music industry that what, you know your writing applies to, but really just like creatives in this day and age and entrepreneurs and industries in this day and age, you write about tech as much as music. Uh, but one of my favorite journalists and analysts, and I don't know, what do you, what do you call yourself? Writer? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good question. I kind of flip flop depending on the circumstances, I guess, uh, most of what I do day to day is writing, um, and researching. So I normally say writer and researcher. Oh, that's yeah. a, such a good point. Researcher. I, uh, well, first of all, like, I, I want to like take my question back because I just like broke one of my cardinal rules. Like I hate nouning anybody. Like I hate, I hate putting a noun on people huh. in general, yeah. like in all ways. Mm. Uh, just, we, we don't exist just philosophically. Like I'm, I'm very much into, we are actions, we are energy that moves around and mm. my energy mm -hmm. affects your mm -hmm. energy. And mm -hmm. that is, that is corporeal, that is physical, that happens. But, mm. uh, you know, I started on this thread when I was younger, I was reminded of it recently by a guy who reached out to me cause he heard the show and I went to, I had like one class with him in college and he remembered like me speaking philosophy like this in, you know, this is, I was probably 19 and, uh, I was, I, I made, a point about how like I would never want to call myself a filmmaker. I was in film school at the time and I talked about how I never want to call myself a filmmaker. And then he said, well, you know, what, what when would you? And I did. So I, I don't agree with this now. I've gone much further down the, down the rabbit hole of this philosophy. But at the time I said, I wouldn't do it until I'm like making a full-time living at it and other people who I acknowledge as like the leaders in that profession would acknowledge me as, as one of them. That's when I would call myself one of those. Mm -hmm. But now I've gone further out and I'm like, I don't want to call anyone a filmmaker. I mm -hmm. would just say this person made a film or this person regularly makes films mm -hmm. because it acknowledges our state. I, I think I, what, what is a, a more accurate depiction of the human condition, uh, our, our state of being, our state of change, our interactions with one another. And I don't think, I, the same way I don't believe in ideology. I don't believe that there's any, any set of, like, like I can't, I say I'm Jewish by blood, but Jewish by religion is a tricky thing for me because I don't agree. I don't sign up for everything in the Jewish religion. I can say I like these people, you know, but signing up for the whole thing is tough for me. So to call, to say these people are all writers, these people are all filmmakers, you know, the way that you write and the way that you research is different from anybody else that's ever mm. lived mm. before. So 
yeah anyway <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh i think i've indirectly thought about this in the context of writing specifically so um one uh base piece of advice that i always give people who um are saying like oh i aspire to be a writer or mm -hmm. i'm an aspiring writer what yeah, advice that, do you that's have? where it gets and it i'm gets like in first the way of this, right. just like don't say that great, <laughs> like great <laughs> you, you are a writer when you write yeah, yeah. and i think kind of indirectly uh, I think focusing on the action and um, and embracing that as opposed to, cause, yeah, because then otherwise the, the the concept of a writer is very abstract and it feels like uh -huh. this kind of like very distant goal on the horizon uh -huh. when in reality, yes. like if you just write a word, if you just write yes. a sentence, you've started. It also so, tells yeah. you, you, Sherry, are a writer. You're not a record label consultant or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do that. You know, mm -hmm. what the fuck? You would be a much better record label consultant than like it, it, the people that are getting paid to do it right now. You know, but you might. I don't know you yet. We'll, we'll, we're we're going to talk a little bit, but like mm -hmm. you might pigeonhole yourself in that way because mm -hmm. oh, I am not for that. sure. You yeah. know, I am yeah. not that. Therefore, I don't do that, and that yeah. sucks. Uh, something that what triggered me to think about this, there, there's sort of two threads on this. One would just be like, I want to talk to you about like the research that you do, which is, which I see the results of, which is why we're talking and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. But the idea of research, I've, I talked about this with a filmmaker friend of mine on a recent episode, I think, I don't remember which, but when I was a kid, I wanted to make films. And one of the boundaries, one of the obstacles, I shouldn't say boundary, one of the obstacles between me and making a film was research. That's what I was told. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. told that part of your pathway to writing a screenplay is research. And hmm. that you had to, like, I remember this book. I'll never forget this fucking book. There's a chapter about, you know, it's like how to write a screenplay. And they used, mm -hmm. do, you know, do you know the writer Michael Crichton? Like, you know, Jurassic Park and yeah, 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 yeah. Strain yeah. and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Congo. Um, mm -hmm. he, they used Michael Crichton as an example of how to write a screenplay and do your research. And they talked about all the intense, you know, this is a guy who wrote like, for example, Andromeda Strain, where it's about pandemics. It's about, it's about uh, diseases, you know, uh, mm. killing every, you know, post-apocalyptic by, by, by COVID-19 kind of disease. Mm -hmm. And so like, of course, yes, this guy did a tremendous amount of research to write that, screenplay but i took that i read that book when i was like 16 probably and read that i have to do all this research in order to tell any kind of story and i didn't tell mm. stories because of that because mm. i was mm. like i'm not ready i need to go to mm. college and i need to go mm. get a around when i'm 35 and around the time when i was getting into you know when i was in my like high school years of academia it started to become um it was the end of the well-rounded uh oh interesting yeah. focus it was it uh -huh. was about to be the exceptionalism focus okay. but i was the generation where showing giving a well-rounded resume was the with the thing so you okay. wanted to do a little mm. bit of a lot of things and no one was mm. allowed to be on a b team they got rid of b teams and stuff mm. when i was mm. a kid and everyone made the team who wanted to try out and I hated mm -hmm. that because I was a sports kid. I was super competitive and I was like, fuck everyone. Like if they're not, mm -hmm. like I was a coach. I remember when I got in trouble when I like wouldn't play a kid whose parents had donated. 
And I was like, he doesn't come to practice. Like, why, why, why would I play? Like, fuck this. Um, but I had yet to, I was like a couple years too early from the, uh, so, so, so I was encouraged to go learn about a million different things, like a little bit about a lot. That's why we have podcasts today, so that people mm -hmm. can learn a little bit about a lot and not be good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I'm sold. <laughs> Yes. But I remember that. I remember that time where it was like, if I don't do these things, I will not be that thing. I will not be able to, mm, you need I to see, request permission yeah. from the powers yeah. that be yeah. in order to yeah. do the thing. And you can't do it. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how personalized you make your approach. It doesn't matter. Mm. You have to check all these boxes or else you're not allowed, you're not allowed to do the thing. And I was, mm. I was reading a book yesterday about Alain Robe-Grier, uh, one of my favorite French writers. And it spoke about how Jean-Paul Sartre was not allowed to become a filmmaker. He was not allowed to make films because the powers that be mm. did not allow him to, he was a writer and they wanted him mm. to continue to write philosophy books because they sold okay. But he wanted to write screenplays and make films and he was never supported to go do that. And like, I was like, oh my God, there could have been a Sartre film. And mm. we didn't get that because mm. of these motherfuckers, mm. these institutions. <laughs> Talk to me about your research and, and your life with that, your balance with that, because your research mm. is amazing. Mm. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is all so interesting to try to synthesize <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, and connect to my own. Sorry, that was why like in our experience. emails, I was like, I was like, I can send you my notes and shit, but like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, we're just yeah, going to yeah, go yeah. on. No, yeah. I, no I, I, I definitely prefer this more like. Like I have notes from all of your yeah. articles and stuff, but like <laughs> I don't really look at them. I just, I, I do the work so that it's inside. Yeah. So like yeah. I, I know your shit backwards and forwards, but like, I'm not going to quote stuff. I'm just, it's, okay. it's just like, I, yeah. I have it inside and now we're going to talk. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yes. Sounds great. So let's see my relationship with research. So I guess going to college, I thought I was going go? to, I went to Harvard Amazing. for undergrad. Are you, are you um, a Northeast person? Uh, in terms of like, I, I'm from Westchester County in New York. Oh, wow. So, I'm a New Yorker. Yeah. yeah I'm a Manhattan oh, awesome. Kid. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. So I've been in the Northeast for- um, And I went to Emerson. Oh, awesome. So we're Boston, Boston school people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cambridge, yes, Boston. Cambridge. Yes. <laughs> all good. All good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like going to freshman year, uh, I thought I was going to lead a super academic career. So like- go to grad school, maybe get a PhD, become a professor. Um, that was one of many potential paths. Um, and I was really into music and math. Those are my two main subjects. And I was thinking about their intersection from a really early stage. Uh, first, on the more creative side. So like, how do you apply math to music theory? I think there's still so many interesting um, like intersections there. But then uh, I really didn't learn that much about the music industry in terms of like the just a wide range of jobs and um, opportunities and challenges available until 2015. Um, and that was when I did a two week shadowing experience at Interscope. Um, and I was in their A&R team and I didn't do uh, 2015, that much. Was that, I think was that John Amon? The, the SVP of A&R at the time was Neil Jacobson. Oh, you were with Neil. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Neil. A personality. Yeah. Neil's like my shining <laughs> beacon of, I remember I was on a panel with him around that time. It would have been 2014 probably. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget Neil being like, so I, I was the indie and he was the okay. like 
the major label. Everyone was major label, but it was like there were like major label dance people on the panel. It was okay. all it was all it was a dance music A and R panel, and I was not an A and R. I was just I had my own indie label, but I was mm-hmm. everything. So it was just I I represented indie, and Neil represented the man. Mm-hmm. and everyone else was in between it was like ultra records big beat it was like dance mm, major labels but like you know the difference between a neil and like a liz miller very yeah. different jobs and neil i'll just I, I loved how unabashedly and this is like why we're cool because even though he represented like the you know the man the enemy the bad the bad thing to me he was like i believe in the major record label. I believe in the system. I believe in the consolidation of assets, in the consolidate in, in the efficiency of infrastructure. And I was oh. like, oh my God, I've never heard someone say those words yeah. in public. And <laughs> I love like him for it. Hearing that now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's so Neil, right? It is it is very Neil. Yeah. The same yeah. guy who goes into an Uber. He and I also share we're kindred spirits in that we don't have cars. We took okay. Uber to work every day. And mm-hmm. um we talked about it publicly. We were like the first in, in, you know, 2014, 2015 LA people to be like, don't drive fucking cars, take Uber. Mm. And he was so unabashed where, where he would talk about it. And he'd be like, I get in the car and I say, here's, you know, here's a tip. Please don't talk to me. I'm going to, you know, yes. all love and respect. You're a person. <laughs> I know you are, but I'm going to go do work now. And thank you so much for your service. And yeah. And wow. Okay. I, so he was 2014. He was like definitely an early mover. Cause I, I, yeah, I know yeah. a lot of more people in LA who are like that now. Yeah. Will, so like, we were doing that. I was at Apple and he was, he was still at Interscope at the time, but this was pre Geffen. And I remember we, we would like high five over this. Like, <laughs> like, yes, exactly. <laughs> like think about like the money that we're getting paid, you know, and it's like worse, you know, I think dollar for dollar Uber's cheaper than a car, but even so like, let's add $20 a day, you know, for an hour of extra time. Yeah, like, yeah, we're, we're, sure. we're executives at these big companies add $20 to our budget every day. And yeah. we get an extra hour of work. Like, yeah, no brainer. So I love that's, that's a really that. good point. Like kind of the value. Yeah. Value add there is just like is really high. Yeah. Neil's um, now gone indie. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, I haven't um, I haven't talked with him in a while. So I'm interested in seeing what he's up to. He's now, doing his own thing. Yeah. No, no worries. No worries. I love these kinds of stories. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I worked with, uh, under him just for two weeks. I, I didn't do that much, but I think, so also for like a bit more background. So I grew up playing classical piano and that was also another path of like, uh, I, I was considering doing piano full time for, um, for a while. And so uh, yeah, and I, I was the kind of person who like practiced for like multiple hours a day after school um, and like was super intense about it. But throughout all that time, I actually did not really learn that much about what happened behind the scenes in the music industry. Right. It was very much like conservatory style, like lock yourself in a practice room kind of mindset. And so like the it's industry- It's compartmentalized. It's not, it's not shared. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that the shadowing uh, experience at Interscope was- first time I like really learned about what A&R involved and just like the diversity of careers even just like within a record label let alone within the music industry and um and then like thinking about music and math to demystify this this is like a wonderful thing you know to 
like what A and R means to uh, anybody, but particularly like uh, you know when you're a student, you have no idea because A and R means a different thing to every A and R. Yes. So yes. to be able to yes. go inside and do that is a wonderful opportunity. A, you know, really the fastest learning I could possibly imagine. Yeah. And to do it with Neil at Interscope is you know you were clearly doing something well to be chosen for that because, mm-hmm. uh, you know I I I worked my bullshit internship for Monty and Avery and I had a ridiculous mm-hmm. like I had a but that's because they were like my fucking uncles and mm-hmm. you know I, I I didn't get that through hard work I got that through like you know my dad gave them their job and and then they okay. you know th- but to get that just to commend you a little bit like whatever you did before getting that Neil job was notable you did some mm. stuff to make yourself stand out because a mm. lot of people want that job. So whatever oh, you totally, did before totally. that is like, just for whoever's listening, like, you know, it's very hard to get those. It's not like, oh, cool, this is a good idea. Let me go work with the guy who's a and a Luna George DJ Snake at this particular moment in time that's about to break a billion streams, mm. which, which you mm. were there for, mm. if you were there at that time. Mm. And most people don't get to do that. Most people end up in a different, you know, less exciting position for a less influential executive but it's mm-hmm. still a gigantic it's an amazing way to learn totally yeah yeah and even also just learning yeah so i totally agree that a and r means like if you ask like five different a and r's what their job entails you'll get five different answers um and i what i even in the same companies yeah exactly um yeah i guess for some reason uh prior to that experience i did i like that a and r was all was like purely about signing the artist and then like the a and r's work stopped there oh, yeah. when in reality it was like really good to learn about Often just, like, it all can be. yes yes in some cases it can be um but obviously there's like a lot of finagling like that happens after that in terms of getting the right yeah. collaborators together doing a lot of deeper research i had dowda leonard on a few weeks ago who oh, cool. he worked on all those records so you guys would have uh, you know all the, all of neil's records at the time were were being done in in sync with Dauda, uh, mm-hmm. who managed DJ mm-hmm. Snake, and uh, mm-hmm. not all of Neil's records, but a, but a bunch of them, um, and and they co-managed at that time, I think. Mm. I think I think something like that. But yeah, but you could listen to the Dauda episode also to hear the other side of this. Mm, cool. Yeah. So I did that experience. Um, was super fascinated, inspired by just this like newfound knowledge of everything that was possible in music. Um, I think 2015 timing plays like, plays such an important role in I guess my personal story as well. Cause 2015 was also, I think when a lot of bigger announcements were being made around streaming specifically. So I think like- Yeah, I mean, I was head of connected Apple Music, so. Yep, 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 (laughs) yep, there we go. Yeah, so yeah, that was probably the biggest example. I was Um, at your office regularly like, organizing exclusive or mm-hmm. yeah. cool yeah yeah so yeah, apple music that definitely changed the conversation around streaming when they launched and then um and my bosses uh, were larry jackson and and jimmy Iovine who left interscope to so to yeah exactly yes so exactly interscope yes. was very tied into this like we okay. did with dave renee uh john amon was was larry's apprentice and um and and neil so we did a lot of stuff with interscope at that time cool yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that was, yeah, exactly. A whole other conversation too about like the label versus streaming relationship. And then um, like Spotify and Pandora were each acquiring a bunch of different companies that year. So right. so there, there are a lot of, I, all that to say, there are a lot of interesting 
tech related moves in music that amazing time I thought would be yeah yeah that I thought would be interesting to investigate yeah just like as an aside I think if I uh crystallize this interest in like 2008 2009 it would be very different and like people I because I, I feel like just just hearing people's like stories from that time it obviously like seemed a lot more pessimistic given sure. like the downfall of um like industry revenues at large and piracy and all that whereas I feel like in 2015 it was starting to get a bit more optimistic in terms of well just to yeah. l- just to to lens it is like if i understand so so like just making it practical it's like in 2008 2009 the version of you of reading your writing is like i can learn this and do what with it you know, mm, mm. Not like, you yeah. know but oh, you know in 2015 it was like i can learn this and i can build a career out of it yes. i can yes i can yes. do it so now like the upside to learning is a lot more. Now, yes. now people reading Tim Ingham and stuff like that, like there's upside to it. Yes. In 2008, 2009, it was like, eh, who gives a shit? Because right. I can't do anything with this knowledge anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a really good way to frame it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, all these events were happening. And then I wanted to do a bit more research in music and tech specifically, as opposed to like music industry more broadly. So the next thing I did was actually more on the academic side, um, but it was a very it was a, it was a brief music and tech project at Harvard Business School, um, and it, it was just also complete like happenstance, like definitely lucky timing. Um, but there were these two professors who did not have a music background. Actually, they had a more like tech background, but they were interested in doing a research project on the impact of various tech trends on the music industry in general. So, um, like both on a macro level. Um, how like piracy and streaming impacted the music business. And then um, importantly as well on a micro level, what that meant for the typical indie artist That's in terms awesome. of, yeah, like how you launch a career in this landscape. So yeah, it was, it was really great. I spent a summer. Um, who did that study? So it was um, Kareem Lakani, who okay. um, is still at HBS. Okay. And then someone named Colin McKay, who, I believe is not there anymore. He is in California, I believe. Um, but he, so I helped Colin do research for a case study on Bandpage. Do you remember Bandpage by chance? Yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I, so, so, so Jay Sider's a really good friend of mine. Okay, um, yeah. I, whatever, I don't really give a shit. This isn't like, I, I tried, I kind of brokered the sale personally. Okay. Uh, I was trying to acquihire them when I okay. first came in, I had a list. I had like a, like a, like a wish list when I came in of like people okay. to acquihire basically. <laughs> and he was one of yeah. <laughs> them. Uh, I wanted to, cause, cause for what they sold for, it was like, like, so he called me, he like SOS'd me basically like early, like told me it was about to, to you know, just be destroyed. And, hmm. but there were still tons of value, particularly to what I was doing at Apple Music Connect. So Apple Music Connect was basically like, the more robust version of band it was like it was like band page was like one third of what we were doing with connect so but like band page was an exceptional the best iteration of that third so i just wanted it i was just like yo mm. like we can do this we can just like bring them in they're about to get destroyed by facebook by mm. algorithms and shit and mm. like he's just calling for a lifeboat and he, they're so smart like let them do this like our tech is not you know, is not there yet. Like, let them just hand it over to us and let's just put it in. Mm. Uh, we didn't do that. And they did it at uh, YouTube. 
um, Using, and it yeah. was just like nothing. They sold it for $30 million, which was like, yeah. from what it was, was like, I mean, it was, it was, so Bandpage was the most Googled. So when you Google a band, Bandpage came up. They had the algorithm fixed and they made amazing pages. It was sort of like the way that Chinese uh, streaming services work. They built like the entire fan experience into one thing. Mm, yeah. And like right. the, the Chinese landscape, you, you write about this, like the Chinese mm -hmm. do that well and we don't. Um, but Bandpage did it. And that's what I wanted for. I wanted to unify. I wanted Connect to be everything. So we were going to do the original content. We were going to do, we were going to integrate social and we were going to have the entire artists feed of all the different things they were doing in mm -hmm. one place and band page did mm -hmm. that better than anybody else at that moment mm -hmm. still i would say because now it's been so uh it's it's been dispersed yeah but i don't know i don't remember why we didn't i think just no one gave a shit enough and mm -hmm. um i guess the reason why was because we didn't really want to democratize it we didn't really want to build connect we just wanted connect to be the thing that made us the biggest like the coolest for the first six months and then like we wanted mm, to just do the consolidation stuff so we were yeah, the coolest yeah, yeah. because of connect all the exclusives and all the original content but and we just wanted to get that out there the most so we built the tech up enough to make it out there as much as we needed but once it got past one, once we needed to create the feedback loops which was what my job turned into no one gave a shit and i was always like mm so depressed about no one giving a shit about like my mm. feedback loops that I created with publishers, with artists, with other streaming services, mm. like with YouTube and no one gave a fuck. And I should have seen it then why they didn't give a fuck, like why it was no one else's directive to care about those things. But no one cared about Bandpage because mm. Bandpage was a wonderful feedback loop and yeah. no one gave a fuck. And then you, then they got gobbled up by YouTube for like, you know, not even 10 cents on the dollar. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. Jay has a new thing now and you know, he's managing his brother who's a really talented artist and mm -hmm. you know, life goes on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. That's good. Oh man. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like this, we can like maybe talk about this later, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like if anything, I should get Jay on the show. I should mention that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And, or and, I, feel, yeah. I feel like after Bandcamp, the fan experience is not, there hasn't really like there, there's been a lot of demand at least from the artist side from what i've heard for a similar kind of experience where right. you can like uh aggregate your whole like online presence into one really cool like uh like more customizable space and the closest thing that i've seen to that is is either like artists making their own websites which is fine i guess that's that's always been around um, but that and, like, sucks yeah yeah that's the most um, fragmented. Like that's not exactly. What we yes, want. yes, that's exactly, not exactly. The it doesn't future. solve the yeah. fragmentation issue. Yeah, and um, or like these smart link pages, which are not very well designed and like don't. Another yeah. horrible experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You uh, click, and and then you get a list of ten different places where you could see. You know, you could get the different things from the artist. So it's yeah. as if you're gonna, and each link is slightly different, but not necessarily. Like it might just be Spotify versus Apple where you're going to get the same thing, yes. or it yes. might be your YouTube, which you're going to get totally different stuff, or it might be your Bandcamp, which you're going to get all the vinyl and all these different things, but it doesn't, it doesn't articulate that. And you have no way of knowing. And right. it, for all you know, it's just, these are your options of where to stream this thing. So you click on the one that you already have a subscription to, but you have no idea that there's this, uh, you know, I don't know, Triller, for example, might have entirely unique content. This mm. was the dream of Connect. Mm. 
this was mm. this is literally like what connect was the you know was meant to be i have a 45 page document this is what <laughs> connect was supposed to be and we just didn't do it but uh mm. yeah i don't know okay. bandcamp yeah. is not this bandcamp is awesome and it's artist friendly patreon oh, is yeah, probably I the closest yeah. i don't know it's I mean, it's like a super it caters to a super specific yeah um kind of like fandom and band engagement yeah 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 bandcamp is amazing but it does not yeah. solve the fragmentation issue at all yeah right um you, you okay you were we died i i love all these topics so that's why i like i like yeah no, no, no totally you know, okay digress, yeah. but so, so going back talking, to the yeah yes, yeah you, you were talking about story. how you got more into like yes. the research and the tech of it as you were learning about these other sides at the same time yes so yes and so during that like summer when i was doing that project uh yeah i did this like helped with this case this case study on band page um that was the first summer that i Actually, the first summer I learned about Patreon and of like certain platforms, like uh, back in the day, Pledge Music. When oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That was the first time I like I met people like Benji Rogers. Have cool. you talked to them? Yeah. Then, uh, but not not we're not like I know the name, you know. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so just like learning about all these different platforms that were trying to solve issues for indie artists specifically um, was. I think super informative and then coming out of that summer I just had a ton of ideas about um, where the music industry in general could go especially in relation to tech and so I just started uh, like writing my own WordPress blog for free um, just like with like bullet Great. point notes on like the latest news um, the semester after that summer I started going to um, Berkeley College of Music more in Boston because they had a bunch of events that year again timing a bunch of events that year under the umbrella rethink music about just like tech innovation and music industry um, did you ever so come really across great. carl Beatty? carl Beatty? over at berkeley no sure. no worries if not okay <laughs> is he a professor faculty or? yeah faculty. or yeah it, 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 admin i think i thought i i don't know but he whatever anyway okay keep going <laughs> okay <laughs> no worries yeah and so yeah it's like kept going to more local events in Boston, just like writing in a super scrappy way with no plans um, at any point in, in this timeline of like writing full time. That was like never in my purview. I thought my path, so I thought my path at this point would be more the direction of working just like purely in the industry as some kind of music company, whether a label, streaming service, um, live events company, I was like open to anything. And then uh, later that fall, my friend drags me to a career fair, a media career fair, uh, just because, like, she, like, needed someone to, like, tag along with her, and I was like, <laughs> okay, sure, and then I, I like, definitely feel In like I jump along. Yeah, this is, this is on, um, Harvard's campus, so they okay. hold, like, a media career fair every year, um, and the only music-related object in the room is, um, an issue on the, at the Forbes table with Katy Perry on the cover. Um, and it was like their Celebrity 100 issue or something. So I was like, oh, this is the only uh, thing that I can like talk intelligently about in this room. I'll like go there and see what happens. Um, and the person who's, who's was manning the booth um, was Zach Greenberg. He was a senior, he is still the senior editor for entertainment at Forbes. And He's awesome, yeah. I, I went it, to Israel with him on a, on a oh, music wow. industry trip, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. oh he, yeah, he's so great. I mean, and I definitely, 
credit. He always writes like all the big Forbes articles that are like that get and that end up trending that are music oriented. He writes like he wrote the big Kanye one where that image of all the shoes in the circle. That's totally. Yeah. And he's the guy standing like on the side, like the white guy in that picture. (laughs) And uh, yeah, he's very smart. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Based on at least like talking to him, he also in general, he really spearheaded most of the hip hop coverage at Forbes. Yeah. Um, that's cool large. I, I, I like definitely really vouch for it. yeah he yeah. was he's he's the man with that yeah yeah um, John at, yeah, so at New he, York Times yeah yeah um, yeah so he just happened to be manning the booth there and um, I that's so cool wow he was or I guess okay in 2015 this is right yes 2015. okay so uh-huh. he's not doing that now yeah in 2015 I can imagine that he was young yeah, yeah. well I, I yeah I think for a couple of years after that he was still like uh, visiting like certain campuses every year so yeah so which, which that's I, really cool yeah. Yeah. That's cool that he does that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I met, so he, I think he wrote that Katy Perry article. Um, and so we like started talking about that. I mentioned this project I was working on in music and tech and like my previous industry experience. And immediately he was like, we need more people to cover music streaming for us now. Like it's a huge topic Great. that, yeah, that like needs a lot more coverage or like music startups as well. Um, yeah. And like right off the bat, he was like, if you have any samples, you'd like to submit um I'd love to see them we can like start talking there um and I was yeah I was like I was very surprised by that and I was a junior at the time and my mindset was very much one of not knowing what to what to do with my life and just kind of like being open to anything and so I yeah again I thought that was a super serendipitous interaction and so I just going back to the nouns for a person like Mm. good Mm. Because you see, so you didn't, you know, you had the openness of yes. What what am I going to end up doing? You know, rather yes. than like I am on yes. track to do X. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I think looking back, uh, I, yeah, I think this is actually a pretty common sentiment. A lot of people, sorry, among a, a lot of people who like look back on their college experience, they see that like openness as a negative, or especially feels that way. Lack of direction. In, in, like, Yes, exact lack of direction, lack of like a clear path. But um, if anything, that's what I feel like a lot of people long for, at least later in life, is is the freedom to, um, yeah, just 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 like the freedom and the safety net to be able to do that kind of exploration, um, which is definitely harder to do. We've started yeah. to fetishize the pivot, at least in entrepreneurship oh, and tech. Uh-huh, you know, the art yeah. of the pivot and stuff. <laughs> like now, it's become like a you know, a flex that you could pivot, like, (laughs) which is like a net good thing, even though like the stories are really stupid. And they're really like, Mm. if you actually read the pivot stories, they're all like super like braggy for one person who was able to pivot because of something, you know, Mm because of a really special like case, not because of a commitment. The pivot that's about commitment Mm. is really is is like, that's the story that I want to read, which is personal, which is like, Mm. like my, my pivots have been destructive in the opposite have been self-destructive and I've, I've always felt uh, like above I've, I've always made myself uh, like when I talk to other like entrepreneur types who try to relate to my pivots I always like think I'm like separate from them and I'm like fuck you don't talk to me about your pivot because usually it's like their pivot is because like they met someone and they did this whole like and they like had a huge investor or something like that and then they Mm. went that way Mm. like I've pivoted where I've like burned things to the ground 
And like, that's the kind of pivot that I'm interested in. And I, I think <laughs> it goes to the beginning of the openness of that, that's true openness, you know, when you can mm. burn your whole sense of quote, you know, self to the ground, or you don't even have to because you have not put yourself in that box yet. So, mm. you know, your openness to like, I'm going to just see where the world is, you know, looking for, you know, w w where my skills can fit into the world and what I can make and go with that. So like you talk mm -hmm. to Zach Greenberg and he's like, we need more streaming and you're ready to do that because mm -hmm. of your openness. You're not, your reaction is not like, oh, well, I was on this track and I don't want to lose the momentum right. or the right. buildup of that track, you know, that I relate to so much and I respect so much. And like, I think, you know, the world benefits from it. Mm. Whereas the other version of the pivot that we've fetishized is more of a, I want to do everything kind of pivot. And, mm. eh. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness. I have, <laughs> oh, again, so many, <laughs> so many thoughts on this, on this topic of pivoting. Um, I guess like one, one brief yeah, go for thought it. that comes to mind. So I, I don't feel give like, a shit about covering any ground. That's why I'm just like, yo, like okay, you got yeah. an interesting thread, like cool. Like people can cool. Google yeah, you, you know, I'm, I'm very, yeah. like yeah, I say yeah. this on every, like, if you want background on this person that I'm talking to, like Google them, you know, go read their shit. Like I'm going to post the links, like go subscribe to the Patreon, like fucking $7, like do it. <laughs> like, but like, we're going to go and give you stuff that you don't get on the Patreon, mm. you know? So mm. yeah, so pivot. All right, cool. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So about pivoting, I feel like, uh, yeah, I totally agree. The concept of pivoting is definitely fetishized, but it also, I think has like a much more essential and like grounded, um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully grounded meaning in the context of where we are right now, like in the world. So like, yes. I, I, or I've been thinking about like what, whether it's words like pivot or like words like disruption, which are like totally oh. overused in the startup world, Ugh. like the COVID-19 pandemic. favorite word in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Adam Alpert, Chainsmokers, fuck you guys. I love you, but fuck you guys for calling your record label Disruptor. Oh, Disruptor. Lamest title disruptor. ever. <laughs> Lamest fucking title and philosophy ever. I hate y'all, but I, I still love you. You know, I, you know, I have love hate for you, but <laughs> your name is the worst. <laughs> I, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. <laughs> um, Happy yeah, for your success. It, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, case in point, word is super overused, but I feel like the the pandemic um, was disruptive in in like the purest and also like most terrible sense, and that it like uh, just changed people's entire ways of living in terms of having to yes. do like social distance or like working entirely from home, dealing with their families, et cetera. Um, I've been in Mexico for practically the entire year by myself. I now have a broken foot, so oh, I am oh, literally oh like in my house by myself. <laughs> oh my gosh and like you're purgatory. still able to swim i just swam for the first time in two weeks okay. and i like sort of I, I just it was all arms it was like really okay. hard but yeah. i did it i did all of my regular swim i normally swim twice a day and i do like a heavy and i did it it was just like it was it was awkward it was because okay. i'm like letting yeah. this leg drag yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know <laughs> I'm feeling okay. I'm like not in terrible pain right now, but it was the first time in two weeks that I left the house, period. Like my door has not, wow. I have not crossed yeah. the threshold of my door in over two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And That's I've been crazy. here for four and a half months. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Disruption yeah, exactly to like our that. regular lives. Yes. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like being quarantined, stuck at home, obviously like financially, um, I mean, 
the live industry right now is like a perfect example of this, of uh, just being totally disrupted and just like, um, just like turn on its head. And mm -hmm. so, um, so a lot of people have been, I, I, yeah, obviously like a lot of people are struggling right now, but I think just like thinking about like entrepreneurship in general, one silver lining is that um, a lot of people in this climate are being forced to pivot in a way that really like truly keeps their audiences or like their fans needs and circumstances at heart, which should have been true anyway. But I feel like there, yeah, there were I think we've been forced of, to do things the way that they were they, they were headed. The way that the they should have, yes. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways. Like it was yeah. already headed this way. And now like, cool, your like window, your half-life of bullshit that was yes, slowing everything yes. down is now removed. Unfortunately, like in a, you know, it takes with it a lot of experience and mentorship and the runway financially for anything like you're just like thrown into it a lot of yeah. there's a lot of um collateral damage from that especially with mm. the music industry mm. with knowledge that won't get passed down mm. hmm. what um what do you mean by that exactly in terms of like, uh, what knowledge yeah sure um a lot of this happened if you look at 2008 um so this has been happening in the music industry for a while and i think that this is the, the 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 two things that are like so music is most vulnerable to a single bad actor compared to film or technology that requires you know gigantic mm. teams to um it's most vulnerable to a single bad actor and it's most you know uh you can if you like adele you know ed sheeran like if you can do a lot yourself you are going mm. to have more mm. wealth and and ability than 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 anyone in music mm -hmm. but at the same time if you're an asshole you can affect everybody oh, and I so see. I see. yeah yeah so what happened when uh napster you know wiped the slate you know killed the industry a lot of people were fired and you know just just made redundant and the industry the turnover was intense and mm, i see what went out with that is that so, so it was two things it's one we're vulnerable to you know you you can get something done yourself in music like one person like my dad's record label is glass note and like my dad has a wonderful team but like i, I don't even think anyone would take this disrespectfully but like it's about my dad like he does not mm. pass knowledge mm. on in the way that like he uh that, that other people do like he just does what he does and then everyone else they do other things but they fill in but he does what he does the record mm -hmm. label succeeds mostly because of the thing the few things that he does and he used to groom people but i don't think he's groomed anyone in a while mm -hmm. um likewise you can build theft you know you could be the one mm -hmm. who's stealing mm -hmm. from artists and you could steal a lot in film yeah in, in, mm -hmm. in film you can't do the same thing because you have a studio you have co-financiers you have a hundred people working on the movie you have partnership you have all these different things in music you could just be the, the guy running the theft and you could do it for your whole mm -hmm. life and no one will stop you uh likewise you do not have to train people to do the things that you do mm -hmm. you don't need to write the donald passman book donald passman is the only one that wrote the donald passman book like mm -hmm. no one else mm -hmm. ever had to write the promotion version of that book like hitman mm -hmm. is not a book of how to do promotion it's a book about the the people 
behind mm-hmm. it. There is no how-to book. There's a hundred, there's thousands of these books in film, but they're, they do not exist in music. They're starting to with people like you, but the knowledge is not shared. It's actually uh, held, first of all, because there's bad actors and they don't want to expose themselves mm-hmm. as such. Right. And second of all, it's like, I will make myself redundant if I tell other people how to do what I do. So the whole thing, music industry has worked mm. with gatekeepers forever. Um, I posted, you know, Zell's article last week about, you know, Austin Kramer being a gatekeeper at, at you know, he's like a gatekeeper of like whiteness in EDM. That was what the article is mm. basically about. And like Austin is maintaining Dang. whiteness in EDM by only curating, you know, Hardwell and, and yeah, Nicky yeah. Romero and stuff like that. And I'm not, I'm not meaning that to like call out Austin. It's the article calls out Austin and I think mm-hmm. it's a great article, but like Austin is not incentivized to tell anyone how to do his job. Uh, Geronimo mm-hmm. told Austin mm-hmm. how to do Geronimo's job and Austin got to do a bigger job and like, that's it. And he yeah. wants to just keep that job forever. Yeah. And when, when the music yeah. industry fired people, they left with that knowledge and no one ever learned mm. how to do it. So the contacts of how to do Northeast regional radio promotion or something like that, mm. like you just I don't, see. you just, if, if you fired your Northeast guy and you, uh, you turned your Northeast radio promotion person into, you know, uh, East, you know, East coast, like, which happened a lot. Like you had like people for Boston, you had people for, for Connecticut, you had people for New York, and then all of a sudden it became Northeast or it became East or it just became radio promotion. Like each of those took with them contacts, uh, mm. in, in all this knowledge mm. and they, mm. didn't, they didn't train anybody. So mm. the industry has been in chaos a lot because of that. And mm-hmm. it sucks. I see. Yeah. It's like, very, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like very much a culture of like self-preservation. Yes. Which, which, which in these situations... Um, yeah, it kind of makes everyone lose. Although I think there, there were early signs, at least in like March and April of that culture kind of breaking down ju- 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 uh, just because of how yeah. extreme the situation was in terms of, yeah, like venues coming together, promoters, agencies, yeah. like really trying to brainstorm what the UK their deal looks that like. was announced yesterday is pretty yeah, cool. Like, yeah, that's huge. $2 billion. Yeah. Like I didn't expect, I got all those emails and I was like, this is a joke. And then, wow, like I was totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that did work somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I, I hope that information sharing continues because, I mean, honestly, the alternative given, and it's like, it's like crazy after four months, how much uncertainty there still is um, about like how different places will open up. I think for, for a lot of reasons, including just the incompetence of the government in the U.S. specifically in terms yeah. of like handling all this stuff. I've been but, getting DJ yeah. offers. You have. Yeah, like people want me. People are like trying to book me in New York. That's crazy. Soon. I mean, yeah, I, I have been getting. And I'm like, like I know, this is ridiculous. I'm like, you're an yeah. asshole. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Or yeah, yeah. So one is just like yeah, such an ethical like yeah. oh, quandary totally to even like against it. I'm perform. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um. But then I, yeah, I don't know that information, that much information about like payment, but I at least hope that even for like, nobody's going to get paid. <laughs> I know, which is, which is like, the, they're going like, to steal more than you're risk your life yeah. to perform at this event. You should at least have like an extremely substantial bonus. I mean, I think anyone like running a business right now, I mean, yeah. But, but a bonus paid. from what, for, from who, you know, yeah. like the yeah. promoter yeah, is going to yeah. take a hit. 
So yeah. who, who's putting That's the event point. on, you yeah. know, the promoter, yeah. producer, venue owner, whatever, they're taking a hit. They're, they're just taking a haircut on the whole thing yeah. to begin yeah. with. If yeah, it's not going to be that way. Like it makes mm -hmm. sense morally, ethically, sure that the artist should be paid more for these things, but where's the mm. money coming from? Mm. Subsidies, mm. you know, like not in the United States. Yeah. Patreon. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's up to, that's up to the artists to deal with that. You know, I, mm. I don't, I don't know where that money, you know, so I'm going to do this and they're going to pitch it as you're doing it in service. I think, I think that this is what the narrative is going to be is we have to, we have to contribute to like, you know, the health of our industry. So artists need to perform mm. and just like build it up and show that it's safe. And I'm going to be like, my next question is going to be like, well, wait, wait, is it safe though? Are you, you know, what precautions are you taking and what, why, why yeah. do you think this is safe? And they're going to not have an answer to that. They're right, not going right. to want that question. But I think that they're going to ask artists to, to share in that haircut. Mm. They have to, of course they do. Yeah. So this is going to be less money, more danger, and in my opinion, collective demise, you know, collective destruction for all reasons. Totally. I say everyone yeah. just take a fucking break and find yeah. a way to. Uh, so so what, what we got into this thread on was the pivot. And if yes. you're not pivoting, you're an asshole and you're self-destructive, yes. you know? Yes. You're an asshole yes. because you are not respecting the collective, the civic responsibility of the pivot. Like you have a civic responsibility. If you're a DJ, for example, you have a mm. civic responsibility mm. to replace your, to figure out how to replace your mm. residency income, mm. not to mm. wait until your fucking residency returns. Yeah. Yeah. Like fuck you. Yeah. If you are, <laughs> if you are trying everything that you can to organize, to get your residency back. Right. Exactly. Man, like you're an asshole <laughs> and you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good way to put it of like the civic responsibility to pivot yeah As, and I, I think um so so one trend that I'm following a lot in the industry in general is live streaming sure and which you have like a full breakdown on 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 your patreon yes yes um and there's been the change change is happening really slowly but I think in terms of a mindset shift it's like finally setting settling down for um, for a lot of artists that, 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 that they can't just think like this of, oh, my, my residency is going to be back in October because they said that three months ago and look where we are now. Um, and like, uh, and so, and also as like an addendum to that, these like live stream concerts can't just be one-off things. Or if you, if you want to keep performing and, in, and engaging with fans and audiences in, um, in a performance or performance like format, um, you really have to think seriously about like sustainable online and digital income streams now, as opposed to just, just waiting it out and just like uh, hemorrhaging money, um, like waiting for the next in-person show to, to arrive. So yeah, I'm, I'm noticing that um, shift gradually happening and like some slightly more interesting models around like live streaming and live video. Like in such as? So... So, okay, one example um, that actually launched this past weekend on, on uh, the 4th of July um, is a new live streaming channel from since the 80s. They're like a hip hop R&B leaning management company and they have their own live streaming channel 
that's membership run. So I believe it costs $4 a month and they held this like several hour um, stream on their channel. It's called channel 80. I think it's channel 80.live or channel 80.com. Um, and they like posted like a bunch of, I believe all are mostly black uh, artists and, and creators um, just for several hours on, on Saturday. And I think they're going to be hosting a series of like a mix of shows and talks on their platform. And um, that's, so they're, they're like, I guess, to the multiple sides to this on one hand um on one hand i think it's a really interesting model for like a management company with i think like a pretty strong um brand and reputation around it to like host its own channel and be like truly direct to fan in that sense of like owning their own channel as opposed to like outsourcing that tech to like twitch or instagram or whatever other platform um on the other hand oh, so, oh they're they are the tech it's not on another channel it's not yeah, access. Yeah, Got it. Yeah. Okay. Or it's All like, right. it's hosted on their own website. But then this goes back to the issue of like fragmentation of fragmentation. Yes. And, and, and so you're an artist who's on that website. Let, let's let, like, let's say Sherry does, you know, one of these talks she's on this website instead of saying on the talk, Hey, check out my, so, you know, you do podcasts and you do Patreon and stuff like on this, I can just like link. It's just, there's another, there's more friction. It's, yes. it's further, friction adding to the to the consumer experience we are we are now very unfocused on the consumer experience we are very focused on the interesting maker yeah. experience of yeah. what is yeah. the the best way that i as the maker uh, how does this look how does this fulfill my needs as the maker and we're not very focused on the consumer experience mm. whereas i think you know six months ago the consumer experience was was starting to get a lot of a lot of focus because streaming had become we we had we had settled into this idea of you know okay cool we do a bunch of things for promotion and there are ways that we can recoup on that promotion so like that's good enough and everyone mm -hmm. has their different balance and now that's no longer good enough so now we have to rework the sharing side of things and mm -hmm. it has created a lot of, I mean, this shit, it's a shitty experience. It's like, where am I going to find that? You know, like versus was like a great example of mm. like the learning curve of versus mm -mm. having to go through all these, like, we'll forget about this, you know, in a few months and no one will ever remember like all the, all the humps that it went yeah, through. Right. Right. All the awkwardness of Teddy Riley and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. yo, like the biggest thing that came out at that period of time was a mess. Yeah. And that was because there was no, this was not built and it was a horrible experience. We were all down. We were all cool. We were all like, yo, we get it. You know, we'll suffer through this with you. I don't think anyone was like mad at them about it, even though it, they made fun of it, but I think everyone still watched. Uh, but it was a ridiculously friction filled experience of like, mm. wait, is it on this? Th is it on here? Is it in my left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Am I supposed right, to watch right, it right. later? And right, where do I right. comment? Oh, do I need to, do I need a check to comment? Well, what's the deal? Like, hold on is it his problem or is it my problem Who, whose mm. connection is shitty like so there were a million issues with this right. and we've yet to yeah we've yet to to phase out of this how does the artist share stuff mm. and and yeah so you're make so this you know channel 80 is is a commendable example but channel 80 is just doing channel 80 you know it's not like anyone else exactly. can look at i don't know tell me if you disagree like can people look at channel 80's example as anything but I'm going to go make my iteration of that for my own revenue stream. It's not scalable, right? 
Mm. Yeah. Beyond just another management company who has another set of artists that has a fan base that could be internal, you know? Right. You just have a closed ecosystem. It's not like an open platform for events. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's closed. Yeah. I think if we create, you know, if, if the future is just tons of closed ecosystems, that's really, that's really tricky. Yeah. Um, that there's, I I think this is related to music. If you look at, um, platforms like Patreon, but I'm now I'm thinking specifically about digital media and what's happening with Substack. Are you familiar with Substack? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there are uh, Substack is you know news email newsletter technology uh, compared to like a Mailchimp that gives you the technology to share to blast a hundred thousand people. Substack is like more catered toward newsletters specifically mm-hmm. where you subscribe to it, mm-hmm. and it's been numbers have been going up like crazy. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of um, you use a combo of Substack and Patreon, right? Mm, uh, so I use Mailchimp actually. Oh, sorry. Okay. My newsletter. Yeah. Um, wait, so tell me, so wait, so break that down for a second. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, there are a couple pieces to the stack. So the free newsletter I run through MailChimp, um, early on people on the Substack team actually like try to get me to move, but, um, and also, so Substack's main selling point, I think is that you can run a free, sorry, you can run a paid newsletter or like a freemium newsletter um and get like back-end analytics and all that in just one central place um and their business model is also different uh like mailchimp i think you have to uh the amount you pay every month is based on the size of your audience whereas um so subset, expensive it, it, yeah it can get pretty expensive like yeah. i had i had like an eighty thousand email list and that would cost okay, me you yeah. know hundreds of dollars or something yeah like yeah i had to stop so, doing it because it was just not worth it totally yeah and i think like Definitely looking at like features from the past several months, MailChimp is like leaning into its role as um, like an email marketing platform for companies where Substack Substack is more like if you're a writer who's like much more focused on editorial, Mm -hmm. um, you just want like a simpler, cleaner interface, um, you can use their platform. Um, So yeah, I think think it is like quite well designed. um, And there are a lot of like writers running their own newsletters on there right now. Um, I think MailChimp has much better analytics for now, which is okay. something I care about. And then um, on Patreon, you can uh, set up multiple tiers for okay. pricing. And it's like, I wanted to like bake that in for the beginning in terms of um, pricing being more flexible. Whereas with Substack, I think for now, I can only set one price, or like okay. one monthly or annual price. Um, so yeah, so I have MailChimp for like the free newsletter and then um, Patreon for paid. And those are like my two main outlets. Yeah. Um, but so, okay, so with Substack, so the digital media industry, um, I mean, has been, I feel like going through a sustained financial disruption and uh, just like upheaval for years. And like, I mean, especially over the past couple of months, so many companies have just like seen massive layoffs. And so as a result, a lot of uh, really, really talented writers who are now free agents who had their own um, like individual audiences on social media independent of the brand they were writing for previously are now running their own um, paid newsletters. Some of them are making like either a part-time or full-time income from it in just a matter of months, um, especially in like the business and tech worlds. But then like what at its most extreme level, what you end up with is this extremely fragmented experience where so, so like thinking from the reader's perspective, if you want to read um, 
like the, the, the newsletters or like the full newsletters of say five different um, business uh, writers who like used to all like write for these bigger publications and now have their own newsletters. You might have to pay like $50 a month. Like that's super expensive. Um, and that's especially just for the these specific five writers. That's just yeah, that. So, so I think the average, yeah, exactly. And like the average pricing per newsletter, like individual newsletter, yeah, it tends to be like seven to $10. So like, and it can like get, it can get yeah. even higher. Like there's like totally. some that are specialized and there's like hundreds yeah. of dollars that are more built, I think for corporate clients, but yes. yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I was talking to, I had Lauren Sherman on uh, last week, whose business of fashion. And mm, we were talking yeah. about this a mm-hmm. little bit of mm-hmm. like, you know, Taylor Lorenz at New York times yes. has become like a star. And, you know, totally. I think about this yes, regularly, like yeah. how much money can they possibly be paying her? You know, what, yeah. are, what are they paying her? 125 K let's say like, I don't know. Let's, yeah. let's say they pay her $200,000. Like I, there's no chance. She probably makes like $70,000, but like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how quickly would she replicate a hundred? How quickly would she get a hundred thousand dollars a year worth of Oh, stack. Super I mean, yeah. instantly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you have 700 about, right? Uh, yes. I'm approaching 700. It's like 620, 630 right now. Yeah. She would get that. If she oh, announced oh, it, it would like, be instant. In it yeah, would be, yeah, yeah, yeah. she yeah. puts that on her Twitter instantly. There are 700 subscribers at, you know, 15, I, I, I would $10, 15, you know, she could go high. Yeah, she is so totally. hip and you know and it's just like what what you know the clout of the new york times like i know how valuable like i worked for apple and i know how valuable it is to like be able to call someone and say i am you know calling from apple i'm calling from new york for times sure. and that's super for cool sure. and stuff but like i cannot imagine that benefit outweighs what she is giving up by not doing a newsletter mm, i can't sure. imagine yeah, in, in lauren of, like, sherman value. is not taylor lorenz yeah. lauren sherman is the is the person who gets the scoop all the time and she's the best in that area. And that's why she's at the best outlet, but people are not like, I know who she is, but she's not a star in the way that Taylor Lorenz has become a star. And mm, mm, mm. yeah, I, mean, I can't imagine that Taylor Lorenz is not about to go do a book deal and a uh, she, she is writing a book okay, uh, <laughs> right now. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About like, uh, I think Gen Z and, um, the influencer economy in general. So yeah, yeah. definitely. Like her. you can't, so, so you're, you're 700 people that pay between what, what your, your low tier is like four and so your high tier, low tier is, tier is uh, $3 a month. Um, I have a very limited con- like consultation type tier that I'm testing out. That's $200 a month. Um, but that's only like 10 to 15 people. So I would say mm. the vast majority of people are that's smart. That's great. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Uh, yes. The vast majority of people are three to $15. Uh, there's no chance you can get that at Forbes or wherever. Mm. Or it would take, it would take uh, yeah, years. I think, I, think, I think it would take, yeah, it would take uh, years and um, yeah. And, and in general, this is more maybe of like a philosophical thing, but I, I, I really like, yeah. So I really, so I appreciate like being able to get equal, if not more um, value with, with the mindset of the readers being my main customer, so to speak, or like the main people I'm serving. Yeah, your directive Whereas, is make them happy. Make the exactly, yes, reading happy. yes, yes. Which like comes with its own challenges, of course, but I like very much prefer that to 
um, the traditional freelance writing career, which is which is like a, it's like a commission model. Yeah. yeah. So you're like the publications are commissioning you to write a piece, um, and like they like the money uh, is not always good. And if it's good, it often comes with like a ton of strings attached. Whereas um, in like the direct to reader sense, you control a lot more of like how those terms look, I guess, for, for your own work. Um, it's a very simple analog yeah. to the musician. The, oh, yes. I, I actually like <laughs> in, in, in terms of what inspired me. Yeah. In terms of what inspired me to even launch a Patreon page, a lot of the inspiration did come from music and like interviewing a lot of artists who um who who embraced this concept of direct to fan um which has like been a term in the music industry kind of loosely for years and i realized like in the media world like no one was really talking about being direct to reader in, in the freelance world specifically like that was um definitely not a common model to this day i only know of like two to three other writers well actually so, so a lot of writers are on substack i don't know of that many other journalists who are on patreon even though they know about the platform um, and like know about its benefits. Um, I guess th they're also some, like something that's important that I've kind of learned on the job, quote unquote, of uh, running a Patreon page is the importance of community management, which is, I guess, like a totally different kind of skill and mindset that you have to uh, embrace aside from just writing and like just doing the work of writing. Um, so maybe that's one mental barrier as well, but yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll have to say I, I hope this mindset changes, but also I like worry about the um, people just kind of uh, talking into their own echo chambers even more mm -hmm. if they just like run their own subscriptions, which I think is exactly what got us into this. I was talking about mess. that on my Instagram yesterday. I was like, I was writing a, like a rant about, I, I was like starting to write a rant about July 4th and about how like, if you are one of the people celebrating July 4th, like, we're not you're not my people like, like it's just pretty clear like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. we won't like each other and then i was like wait a second <laughs> as i'm writing this i'm like nobody who you know who's in that category is gonna read this because mm, they're not following like, me you yeah. know they're, they're somewhere yeah, else yeah, yeah. and mm. i was like and then I, I went on a whole thread about it and uh you know what how, what what does that world look like you know, let, let, like extrapolate that into the whole world, the whole ecosystem of the music industry, let's call it, just to keep it a little bit micro. But, mm -hmm. you know, I also posted today the top, uh, you know, Billboard Hot 100. I have heard one of those songs and it's mm -hmm. from the TikTok repost, not even on TikTok, TikTok on Instagram, Savage. Mm. I've, I, I have never heard the okay. whole song. Okay. I have only heard that part that they do the dance to and I see it on Instagram and I move off of it immediately but I do know the song I have heard it mm -hmm. I do not I don't know what Lil Baby or Da Baby or Roddy Rich or um any of these people I have not I've never heard any of and I have not, uh listened to one of the songs on the on the top you know the top 10 songs in in the country right now yeah I've never I've always like throughout my entire up until I, I'd say at least you know 2017 I was always aware of like all the popular shit mm. it mm. wasn't necessarily my thing but like you know I was aware of it mm. there's no centralized culture anymore and and not, not mm. to say it's better or worse I'm I'm, I'm not mm. necessarily like 
I, I don't know. It's just a different world. If we all have these micro communities, I don't know. Just like, what does it all, what does it all mean? What does it all look? Like? I don't, I, I don't have an answer. I'm just observing. Yeah. I've never um, in my life not known one song on, you know, of uh, the top. Mm, songs. Mm, yeah. Or it was definitely like much, yeah, definitely easier to do like e even like five years ago, but now it's, yeah, I agree. I, uh, try to keep up to date with stuff like, and, and yeah, I know these artists names, but I definitely have like not listened to 90% of their music. I, one realization I had, or yeah, it's like a realization that I've had and also a lot of like other commentators more in like media and en entertainment have said is essentially that like fame, fame today, and especially popularity is an eye of the beholder. I think yeah. because, because it's like so decentralized now. So I think, so um, Ben Smith, who is the media columnist for the New York Times, he wrote a piece about Substack um, and similar platforms. And the, I think the title of that piece was, tomorrow's um, media star will be famous only to you. So he even like open with- I think idea. I saw this, yes, yes. He saw this? Okay, yeah. yeah. And then um, the, the CEO of Cameo has talked a lot about this, um, Stephen Galanis. Where he there was a piece talking about how they it, in terms of like what they need for their platform to be successful they like wanted to grow or just like scale the supply of like talent on their platform really quickly and so they like intentionally targeted like c and d list celebrities so they like are not that interested in a list celebrities or at least like the one percent of the one percent of stars because they're probably not going to invest that much in the platform anyway in terms of time like they're much more interested in C and D list celebrities who, um, who I guess were overlooked by maybe like mainstream media or mainstream gatekeepers, but had like a really small, but really um, like avid base of fans who would do anything to get like a video message from them. And like, who still saw them as famous, like in, in their own eyes. And like the, the, the idea of fame and like the personal connection that comes with that is not tied to some kind of like surface level social media metric and like I, I just I, yeah I think that talent that kind of strategy for cameo specifically is really interesting and kind of yeah just like reflects uh the media landscape as a whole I guess or the, the entertainment landscape where um I mean you see this I uh I, I try to avoid this conversation in like small talk and gatherings but like if you ask um, like, so at some point someone's going to ask, oh, like, what TV shows are you watching? And it ends up just being like, a, a, kind of like a conversation of, um, have you seen this? Oh, no, I haven't. Have you seen this? Oh, no. And it's kind of like, <laughs> just like hopping across all the different services right. to like try to find a point of like commonality. Um, that just like. Because the, there's yeah. so many variables that you have a low chance of interest. Yeah. It, the variables are now fragmented. So it's like yes. genre level. Yes of sort of, uh, you know, are you artsy or not? You know, level yes. of direction, escapism kind of cinema. What do you subscribe to? Uh, you know, are, are you mainstream subscriptions? Are you niche subscriptions? You know, there's so many different ways to look at it. Yes. I, I likened it to like, I was watching this happen when I was still like a person in the world. A lot, you know, just like, like I was still like out every night doing stuff. Uh -huh. um, I've since not, and not just because of pandemic, just the last few years I like removed myself, but mm. I, I talk about like REM when REM played Madison Square Garden when I was a kid on the Monster Tour. Everybody knew that REM was playing Madison mm. Square Garden that time. And this is REM not at their prime. 
Mm. Not, you know, I loved Monster. It's, you know, the What's the Frequency Kenneth album. It's really cool and stuff. But like, this was like not peak culture, but my whole class knew that it was happening. Mm. Mm. Nobody gave a shit about R.E.M. at that time, but it was the biggest thing in town at that moment. And everyone just knew about the biggest thing in town at that moment. Yeah. And like, I could talk to the person who's literally never like given a shit about R.E.M. We could talk about R.E.M. It would probably be a little annoying for them, but they have some context of it. Mm. And Mm. it would be me more like, you know, imposing my white bro thing that I care about on them. But it's Mm -hmm. still like, even, even to, to say just like the white bro thing that the white bro cared about was successfully imposed upon culture (laughs) at that Mm, time mm. and now it's not even you know (laughs) capable of like justin bieber i didn't know that he has a new big single out that's in the top 10 oh yeah right now i didn't know and i i I found out today because i saw it on on someone's thread posting the top 10 and Mm. and that's what i look and i was like oh justin bieber has a new record out i have successfully removed myself from that there was a time where i um tried the first thing I did was the first time I did it was with Taylor Swift I tried to remove Taylor Swift from my you know my 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 senses so I wouldn't like if I was in an uber or something like that or if someone was talking about I tried to just remove the idea of Taylor Swift from my day-to-day I didn't want to hear the music I didn't want to know about anything she was doing and I I did it basically like I've never heard any of her the last five six years of records and now wow. I don't even put effort into it. Now it's yeah. just like, I literally, like, I would love to not know anything about Justin Bieber happening. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's not even, I don't even have to, no one brings up Justin Bieber in conversation. Like I live in, yeah. it, it, it's, it's partly echo chamber and it's partly just like, I don't think this is the fact that I'm 35. I think it's just the way I, I don't, I don't, because I'm still like, I still talk culture all day. And Justin Bieber never comes up, but Justin Bieber's got a huge yeah. record out, apparently. And interesting. I literally but like don't... what is like what does Ooh, so many questions. Yeah, like what, what does <laughs> huge really mean? Um I feel like Justin Bieber in general has like a very different place in culture now compared to Yeah, but to... when Sorry came out, yeah. when What Do You Mean came out, it was ubiquitous. Yes. I couldn't yes. avoid it. Well, yes. I totally agree. Nothing is but, yeah. I didn't want to hear that song either. That was trash. Yeah. I shit i didn't want to see that video but i know the fucking choreography in that video <laughs> i didn't want it but i didn't yeah. put quite the same effort into avoiding justin bieber as i did avoiding taylor swift because of skrillex probably because like of the involvement in the creative oh okay it. yeah i was probably like okay cool i'll be a little i, I won't i won't cancel this to myself <laughs> not that anyone gives a fuck what's what i'm canceling to myself <laughs> but just like i didn't cancel but it was ubiquitous it was everywhere even um i'm the one that song where he got mm. every feature like i know that song i can sing mm. that hook right now mm. i hate it but i can sing it and i mm. remember chance the rapper's embarrassing verse on it it's it's embarrassing mm. but like i've heard it mm. i did not know that he had a new record out mm. and that's not so another yeah another question that comes to mind um yeah. i mean in the specific context of right now when i think still to an extent at least um in the US, yeah, like people's lives are still very much disrupted and a lot, a lot of people are still mostly at home, not traveling that much. Like what, do, how do I frame this question? Like what, so, okay, actually to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Um, in the past couple of months, there've been a lot of 
like critiques about the the efficacy or lack thereof of celebrity culture in general in addressing everything going on right now in terms of like addressing various issues around whether racism or just like the pandemic in general um earlier on this this like uh shared like karaoke video essentially like acapella video of imagine yeah, yeah. with all these uh, celebrities yeah. gal Godot. yes yes that that was like kind of the like, that was the first one that was like yeah. oh these people are out of touch and they're yeah. really fucking stupid and they're yeah. normal actually in right. a bad yes. way yes right <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's we point. can't yeah. trust they're... them for anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh exactly yeah so like i think that was a good critique of like yeah being out of touch not really being like on the ground um like working on these issues and then to bring that to like music releases i think a lot of people have been questioning like what even what should what should the purpose be of a music release like in the first place and is it like a is it necessarily a good thing for it to be like a massive release that like tops the charts like yes that's cool but like what's the point like what is it really serving i think a lot of people, a lot more people are asking that question, whereas before they wouldn't think as much about it. They'd be like, oh, I just want to get this civic, top The civic thing. responsibility of making yes, things. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and what, what, are you, or what do you think people are coming to with this? Hmm, like it's, uh, with, with this question about like what the, the purpose of a release? Yeah, just making stuff. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I've I've been thinking um, in, in general about this in the context of artist branding as well and like how that has to change. Because um, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like artist branding traditionally, understandably, obviously it's like all about the artist um, and like the kind of aura around them, the creative vision around themselves. But um, increasingly, th this kind of goes back to to pivoting in, in a good way towards really keeping like the fans in mind and keeping the audiences like most in mind rather than like the more egotistical uh, like or like egocentric like artist centric kind of approach to branding. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm seeing that I've seen that approach to branding be a lot more effective in terms of like artists releasing music where um, even if they maybe created it from like obviously a place of like self-expression they're framing it as um like how it can help people either like cope with this time or like think through certain issues or just like i feel like phoebe bridgers so for example she released a really good album and she just like is very uh like openly just saying she just makes like sad music like here's like uh here's an album of sad music uh, do what you want with it hope and like it's, it's it was like very effective I think for a lot of people and like for her fans especially but yeah and she talks uh, about the yeah. awkwardness of releasing something yes she cares a lot about protest yeah yeah um yeah I think I think in general like releasing an album saying like oh like so-and-so art like Justin Bieber released a new single like it uh well, I guess we're into it, like the escapism of art, you know, yes, where's yes, the yes, value exactly, of escapism exactly. in art? Like exactly. we haven't had the Tiger King again since Tiger mm, King. Tiger King was peak, true. you know, I don't want to think about what's happening right now. Yeah. That's how I see it. You know, Tiger King was, if you watch Tiger King, like it's not actually, 
engaging at all. It's like, it's not the things that it says it is in the memes. I don't think most people like even it was just like a background thing to, mm-hmm. to feel to other people at a time mm-hmm. you feel something and mm-hmm. you protests yet to give your life meaning. <laughs> and um, yes, yes, right. You know, but, but that hasn't like the next thing. What I hear is that stupid. There's like a Turkish movie, like a Turkish sex movie or something uh, that everyone's watched on Netflix. Um, like, oh, gray, I've but it's like really bad. And then yeah. not, not the 50 shades of gray is not bad, but it's like worse. Okay. And it's <laughs> like, tur- and it's Turkish. And that's the, that's the craze. It's like number one in the world, but it's not quite Tiger King level of number one in the world. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So, so, so yeah. So where do we go with the value of, of our people? Do you, do you think that people are like, I, I don't know. Are, is, is escapism. I don't know if that can go away. I think that people are always going to. Yeah. I don't know. I, no, I thought, I thought a ton about this because my, so my personal relationship with escapism has absolutely changed. So I, I would say when. Over the last few um, months, you mean? Yeah. Over the last few months. Yeah. Oh, so when, that, yeah. yeah. So when the first, uh, when the pandemic first really hit and I kind of, self-quarantined, decided to stay at home uh, in or like mid-March to April. Um, that was also like when I first started to, like I, I just, the, yeah, the thing I wanted to do most at the end of the day was just like forget that the pandemic was happening and just like immerse myself in whatever. So I've definitely watched a ton more TV, like in general than usual on Netflix. I've probably played more hours of games than I had in the past. Like you play multi like like MMORPG kind of games or do you play games with no, other people? No, I guess I'm, I'm not really like a gamer gamer in that sense, but I've gone through like a handful of games on the Nintendo Switch. Um cuz I have one just But like they're single the- single player. Yes, yes, they're single okay. player. Yeah. You know, I ask because some people tap into their, you know, like I have friends who have just dove into World of Warcraft or Fallout or or Minecraft yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to be with other people. It's their way of community. Yes, you know? yes. The only um, game yeah, I've played I in the last year is Death Stranding, which is a different version. It's a whole philosophical idea on community, but it is not interacting mm. with other people in a traditional way. I see. Um, one, one like, this is not an RPG, but it has a social element and it's definitely exploded in the past uh, couple months is Animal Crossing. Yeah, exactly. I, that, I should have yeah. named Animal Crossing, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. I'm like fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've definitely been playing that a lot. Um and like early on with Animal Crossing in particular, it like the way that you're able to just do literally whatever you want on your island. There's no like one single path to winning the game, quote unquote. It's like very customizable. It like gave me a weird sense of agency that I didn't feel like I had in the real world in terms of like just being able to like control my environment or even like travel in the first place. But then, uh, yeah, especially once um, after like, uh, after police killed George Floyd and once all the protests started happening every time I like started playing a game um, or like watching any kind of film that like wasn't related to or didn't like get me to a better path like, like a better state of understanding what was going on in the world I like definitely felt I was being irresponsible I was like are you are you really doing the best thing you can do right now um, to aid this like wider social cause or 
um, at least to like enter these kinds of conversations more informed. Um, it was like, it was a really quick shift and it hasn't quite gone away. I, I'm still now like easing a bit. Is it going away, you think? I, 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 I don't think, well, I, I, no, I, I don't think it's going away in that I'm. You think for life you are switched on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, personally, also the past month has um, made me aware of like a lot of things that I like wasn't super familiar about when it came to race. I mean, especially with um, like policing policies, like, yeah, like first of all, like being like the primary issue or about um, Black Lives Matter or like nonprofit mm. management with like all these donations flooding in. I mean, so, so many different topics that like, are really important to understand what's going on that I, yeah, I just like had not read about previously. So um, yeah, d definitely more motivated to- Newsletter do. always does a good breakdown of, of causes going on and, and places you support. Mm, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so yeah, I'm definitely trying to, yeah, I, I feel like anything other than uh, committing, like committing to this long-term and like keeping the switch on long-term is not a good idea. Cause the last thing, so yeah, so I thought about this with like, this is a really specific example, but with um, like Spotify's artist donation links, which are oh, like God. labeled as like yeah. COVID-19, right? So I, the, the way that they're labeled implies that they're going to go away eventually, which I feel like is such It was a, also a mean thing to do to everyone but the top, top percent of artists who mm, get mm. to donate all their shit. But it was mm. a mean thing to do to rub it in, the, in my humble opinion. It, mm. it rubbed it in the face of everyone that, oh, we don't make enough money on this. Like, so you can ask for more or, you know, but you're mm. going to admit that you're poor by doing that. Mm. And it's like, exactly. it's demystifying your artist profile to your fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you can align with a cause, but you might need that money actually. And you're now using your platform to dilute the amount of money Mm. in your revenue stream that's going to you and you might not be mm. able to afford that. Mm. So I thought it was really offensive. Bandcamp yeah. did it in a much better way where anyway, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. I think Bandcamp is a great example. And I think mean, it's like wider conversation in the artist community now about um, whether these like kind of no fee days, like 24 hour periods should, should be a much more long-term permanent thing. Cause, cause they've been doing that for several months now. Um, and some artists are saying that like, yeah, it should go on for much longer. They're going to hit their um, ceiling though. And they're not going to, yeah. they're going to hit their ceiling where there's going to be a churn rate and erosion of the amount of um, new exposure. Like Bandcamp has a ceiling. There's a fixed amount mm -hmm. of people in the world who are going to use mm -hmm. Bandcamp. Sure. And yeah. like period. So they're going to get, they, they have now been exposed to, I think by the, you know, by the end of this year, they will have been exposed to that amount of people. And they mm. will hit a cap of the amount of new kind of customers they will get from mm. things like that. So it will start to hurt Bandcamp by doing it. I think I, I personally think there's a limit to it because mm. Bandcamp is not like Spotify where, you know, there's a limit. Like it can just be like how many music listeners are there in the world. Bandcamp is mm. is either the kind of customer who supports the initiatives that Bandcamp does or a person coming for the artist specifically and mm. the amount of outreach done for that first customer who supports this kind of workflow it, there's a limited amount 
Yeah. And they're doing it. Yeah. And they're going to, they're doing an amazing job at it, but I don't think that they can continue to, because I think it will hurt the company eventually. And I mm. hope that people are sympathetic to that. Because mm. they've taken it, they've shared a lot. It's been really Definitely. nice. Definitely. Yeah. Backwards for a second. I want to, mm-hmm. um, if you required George Floyd being killed by police and the most people, the biggest worldwide protest of all time in order to, to flip that switch inside of you, mm. what's to, how do you sustain that? If, if that's what got you mm. no, it's a, it's in a it, question. How, yeah. do you, how do you understand what sustains you and just mm. examining a little bit like why does it take that mm. to if it takes that much to switch to, to flip that switch what would possibly sustain it hmm that's a good question other than artificiality other than just forcing yourself how, how can mm. you want to sustain it genuinely how can I generally want to sustain? Yeah. You might do it because you do it. You just decide to do it or you're shamed into doing it or whatever. But like, mm. how can you wake up every day excited about doing that when it took so, you know, a once in a, in a, mm. in a not just our lifetime, once ever, this will never happen. It will never happen again. What happened? It will be something else. Mm-hmm. Other unprecedented events were happening, but it took a worldwide unprecedented organization of, of, energy toward a certain thing that we've never known we not only have never existed but we've never even thought of that could happen it took that to flip this switch on what could possibly get you to continue to wake up in the morning every day excited to keep that switch flipped or continue it's like lost you know like uh i don't know if you Mm. ever watched lost but you know how the guy has to punch the numbers in every day and um, mm. did you did you watch Lost? I I've not seen it. No. All right. So on Lost, whatever. There's this guy who like is discovered, and he's he spends years in quarantine, basically in like a tunnel, mm. like like a sub, you know, a, a shelter, fallout shelter, and he has to punch these numbers in every day at a certain time in exactly a certain way, and he does it every single day. That's his routine, and he does it, and we learn why, but that's effectively like what you're doing and you have to just make so he does it because of faith because someone told him to and because he's in love with someone and mm. that keeps him going that's his motivation mm. to keep doing this mundane thing keep so, so you're, you yeah you have to think mm. about it i guess where it's not that the switch was flipped and it stays flipped you have to continue to wake up in the morning oh, and absolutely, flip that switch every day you yeah. have to continue to wake up and punch those numbers in every day and you have yeah. to re-motivate yourself all you have to do all of it again Every single day, every hour, every minute. To keep it on, yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just stay on its own until, yes. you, until you get rid of it. Yes. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, and yeah, I definitely agree. And like the, the danger, I guess, of thinking that um, once the, of thinking that you, yeah, like it stays on, you can just leave it and it'll stay on is that, right. yeah, you absolutely go back it's to like physical exercise, like, you know, if you physically yeah. exercise. Yes. Like I know that there's a, I have, a, I have a thing that makes me do more sit-ups. And, and yeah. that thing, like I, I put in my head, there's, there's a person and mm-hmm. she is my sit-ups person. And I've talk, talked mm-hmm. to her about this. For some reason, I think about her and I end up doing you know, the extra third 
And that's, that's what gets me to do those sit-ups. But every single time I want to stop. And every mm-hmm. single time I invoke her and mm-hmm. I do the extra third. Mm-hmm. Every single time. But it takes that every single time. I never just go on autopilot and just wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling good today. And I just go, I just, I just fly through my workout. I, that never happens. Mm. So why the fuck are we going to wake up every day and say, I'm going to, you know, make sure that I funnel all my work through social justice with it's, it's more effort, more friction, mm-hmm. less yeah, reward. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Why? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say, mm, well, I wouldn't say it's less reward. And I'm just thinking about my own like way of thinking about this. And I think previously, um, I don't think it's less reward either. I, I think that yeah. the building the yeah. universe that you want to live in is the ultimate reward, yes. but yes. that's not easy. Yes. And I think um, previously for, for some reason, I had thought that, um, say, say, okay, so say in my, in my newsletter, for example, or um, on my Twitter account, like Twitter being my primary like social media channel online, like I thought, and I, th- I think for some reason, a lot of like business and tech people or at least, at least business and tech commentators like thought this too, that um, that discussing politics was um, somehow like not safe. Like it wasn't something that you could touch. And if you wanted to maintain like a more um, consistent personal brand that, you know, kept people like following your channel, you had to like stick to your lane. Right. I think that was very much like a mindset, at least in like the business and tech media world. Um, and I, yeah, and I would say, yeah, I absolutely like adopted that maybe for the worst, like over the past couple of years, but now, um, I think, yeah, I, I do think it, I definitely acknowledge that it will require a lot like more effort to keep it up every day, but I see it as like this new avenue being like opened up. And for, for some reason I didn't feel as like safer like that it was my place necessarily to address these issues but now I like definitely feel much more like open to do that so if anything it feels like less effort it takes up more energy in that like for sure I have to like think real about, estate like, in so your many newsletter and stuff on. that you have to yes, add yes you have, to, like, you have exactly. to read five more articles you have to read not five more you have to read 25 more articles to find five to put in there and you have to yes give that but, space that could otherwise go to your other things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think thinking about this conversation as well, it kind of like ties everything together in terms of like, uh, feeling like, feeling like you have to like stick to just one specific lane versus, um, versus being more open and like embracing like the full humanity of Mm -hmm. like a given situation. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm definitely in the latter space now with, with, with respect to, um, not with respect to no longer feeling like, oh, if I like address these, um, social issues or these political issues happening in the world that I'm stepping out of my lane and I'm like alienating people because of anything we're realizing now that like, uh, none, none of these, I guess like tech companies or any of these like tech innovations, um, really matter if the people who are building them like donut basic rights aren't treated equally um and it's like all kind well, of connected 
this is so so taking it side, side taking it adjacent to that a little bit mm-hmm. i personally think that your work already did that without mentioning it but mm-hmm. it was already doing it in that going backwards to when i was discussing how information is not shared and it's not passed Mm, down mm. and you know knowing how to do the job you have to like learn from someone and they will only share it with like the person who gets that right you know the right internship or something and maybe not even that person but the fact that you can demystify these things and share it widely and make it available for four dollars a month you know is an innovation and that is actually Mm. so like I, i personally think that expanding the this is about building a better universe this is not about black lives matter this is not about uh you know making sure that women get the same salaries as men it's about building a better universe and i think a a, a general principle is that diversity brings creativity and we all want that so any we don't all want that, but but the collective we who are interested in these things that we're talking about want that. Um, there are, of course, gatekeepers who want it to stay the same. And this is a push-pull. But the work, I sort of think that dumbing it down to an article on why diversity is important is, this is like, I, I, I was talking last week about like the word feminism. Like, I don't like the word feminism. I would call myself a feminist sure but like i would hate doing it you know i just Mm -hmm. don't want to have to use that word to just talk about something it's like you created a someone created a problem and saying that i am like against that problem like feels stupid (laughs) like that my that my identity is based on that i'm against something that is clearly a problem like, it just feels mm. stupid. Mm. It's just mm. like, yeah, like, I'm against a lot of different problems. Like, my whole world is not built on what is the biggest problem. And that's my, we're just using that as a signifier mm. to bring attention to this particular yeah. problem. Yeah. So the whole, it's you know, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Black Lives Matter. Like, I, I of course, support it. Not, not of course, but I, because I, a lot of people don't, but like, I do. And putting myself as like, I support Black Lives Matter is to me, like it feels like I'm, I'm ashamed of doing that because it means mm. that my life, my living, my doing is not powerful enough to make that, like I need to do that in order to, so I would argue that you're powerful when you do not have to, like if you can have the confidence to not share articles about Black Lives Matter, but know that, the articles that you're writing and sharing mm. and the work mm. that you're doing is contributing mm. to a better universe around that. Mm. That's a way better world for Republic to not have to just like make a statement by removing the word urban, but shift the money around a little bit, mm. put the responsibilities right. in different places, you know, make these maneuvers that don't have to be flags that we're waving and press mm. releases and stuff. Like that stuff is actually, that's like, it's, it should be, it, we should all be ashamed. In my opinion, we should all be, that's a defeat. Like when I call myself a feminist, I take it as a defeat. Cause if mm. I have to use the air to call myself a feminist, there's nothing around that. That's that, that's that. I'm a feminist. What, what the fuck does that mean? What just, what just occurred? What alchemy occurred from Sean Glass saying he's a feminist? 
Mm. Absolutely nothing. It's not like, oh, one guy heard that Sean Glass was a feminist. I'm going to consider that. It's not the way that things work. No, you see mm. an action and you know, energy is shifted. It's back to the nouns and stuff like that. Mm. Like nouning mm. yourself as a feminist does not make women like feel better or have more opportunities or put more money mm. in their pockets. You know, like th th that's why a lot of when mm. we had our blackout Tuesday, you know, I was talking to people and no one did this, unfortunately, but I, I lobbied to a few people privately and I was like, just make a fucking 1% pledge. Just, just say 1% of royalties are going to yeah. go to like either black organizations or black artists, like specifically, just, just do it. Just like let one person do that. And no one did it, but. Yeah, I think that Netflix was uh, That's it. Netflix made a two percent pledge. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think I think that was uh, with Blackout Tuesday in general. That's definitely something that um, the signaling is. is I, I guess that's yes, the it's like signaling versus how are you actually? So I so I think I I, I guess so my, like if my you have to stands, spend yeah. your time signaling that that's a, yeah. this is a better better way to say what I said that okay. took a long time. Yeah. But just like if you mm -hmm. have to spend your writing signaling, that's a defeat. Because your writing is already important, mm. already leading to a better universe. And mm. like, just keep doing that. And mm. any time you have to, you know, the reassessment is beautiful. Like I, I encourage mm. the reassessment constantly. I think we all have to constantly reassess. But, you know, and, and adding the, what you've done, you've added like a category in your newsletter of links shared. And that's, that's yeah. great. But I just think that, you know, th that, that's kind of where I was headed with the question of like, how are you going to continue to motivate yourself? Effectively, I see, I see. another way to say it is like, if you have to signal, if you have to motivate yourself to do something artificial, you're doomed. I see, I see. I see. But it's not like, like, so doing the thing, you have to believe in the thing that you're already doing as if yes. you have to do something different or something tangential in order to satisfy this signaling, you're fucked because that's see. not going to continue. So yeah. like my, my ex who I got in a fight with over all of this is like a model and she started signaling mm. and mm. like we As, got okay. into yeah. it over this. And I was yeah. like, your value of signaling, you know, you're just like, cause you're sharing the links. Like, cause, cause you're, what? Like, yeah. What that, you know, and how long are you going to do that until you start shooting again with white photographers? Like, mm, right. Like, how long does that last? How long are you going to keep it as your LinkedIn bio? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. right. And, yeah, and, okay. and what does that yeah. matter anyway? You know, because your work has never contributed to this cause before and it's never going mm. to. Mm. But yeah. I, and I, was compar I, was, I was like, but all these things that I do, like, I'm not perfect. You can criticize the hell out of me. But like, I have done infinitely more in this category versus your signaling. Mm. And if you have mm. to just signal, you can't possibly be motivated to signal. Can't I see. Anything. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so now that you frame it that way, I think I, um, so I would say in, in, in general with my newsletters with Water Music and the Patreon page in general, um, I'm, I'm definitely, well, so yeah, one reason why I didn't want to take like a full-time position at like another publication is that I'm uh, definitely inspired, especially right now by like creating um, spaces or forums for ideas that I'm like not seeing out there and like taking that initiative myself. Right. And so, yes, yeah, so like one example, um, starting this week or next week, I'm gonna be publishing um, some guest posts on my newsletter, like oh, yeah, all about saw, music and tech. Cool. And yeah, um, 
and I'm real I'm like really like holding it to myself to make sure that it's like as diverse of a group as possible um definitely trying to like feature uh black I mean all kinds of races so they're like uh black writers Asian writers um Hispanic writers um definitely like featuring more women talking about the music industry I encourage um, diversity yeah. beyond um, gender but diversity in thought diversity in, in background and yeah absolutely diversity in background as well so not just like people who are um who have been like executives at some company for years but people who just have interesting ideas that i think can get get people regardless of their experience in the industry to think about what they do in a new way um so yeah so yeah of course like across all of those different um I guess axes of diversity. I'm like right. taking that really seriously. And yeah, this this whole thing also. I like. I wonder how many people feel this, but it's. I think. I feel like it's really easy, right now, to fall into, this um, like mental trap of, like always feeling like you're never doing enough, or like you're never that's doing bullshit. as much that's, as you That's could. just like you're just. Yeah. I think that's you know that's the world. That's that that's that's yeah. social anxiety. That's that's horrible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're just doing yeah. what you're doing and do the and keep doing, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there was actually um somebody's job to solve diversity or solve inequality. Right, like, exactly. Like we exactly. just do yes. what we do and like frame yes. it. Build your framework. That's it. Just make sure your framework yes. is in line and yes. then just do your stuff. There's no measurement, like there's no there's no nothing. Yes. If anything, it's uh yeah, I guess now that I think about it, the, the idea of all this responsibility falling on a single individual yeah. um, is also part of what got us here. Of like feeling like thinking of it as very individualistic rather than more like collective or systemic kind of effort as well. I think yeah. that's the framework that your work, as I see it, like the reason why, you know, I, I want someone like you on my show and, and talking ideas and exposed because it's it's solving that problem that decades long generations long problem of lack of shared information and mm. you are doing all this work to share the information and that's what mm. that's what it boils down to and your sharing of the information diversifies the music industry in this mm. specific case mm. and that builds a better universe mm. that's how i you know whether you're sharing black lives matter articles or not i don't really give a shit mm -hmm the work that you're doing, the sharing of the information, a huge problem, a huge reason why black artists and black industry members and executives do not rise in the ranks is because white people live, speak, communicate, work differently than black people. And mm -hmm. white people wrote the language, the vocabulary, the rules, Absolutely. The, yeah. the playbook in their words. And they don't share, so they don't share it with anyone but they're less likely to share it with black people. And it's harder for black people to understand because they learn differently and they, mm. they communicate differently. And just, mm. just, I'm taking white and black. This could be, you know, Asian, Latino, this could be anything like everyone. Totally. Is different. Yeah. But that yeah. is a huge reason why. So if there's an article, I want to, I want to go, um, I want you to expand on live streaming a little bit because that's a super tangible mm. topic for people to like take away. Um, mm. and, and we just like, you know, we, we go in a million directions, but I think that was one that I'd love to let you go a little further on. But like, 
the fact that you put the playbook for like, how are people learning to live stream? Mm. The playbook is online. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is a playbook that is as well-researched as, you know, as accurate, as powerful as like some creative agency that has a hundred people on staff. It's just as mm. good. Mm. You're not going to get a better idea if you're in that creative agency. The only thing you're going to have access to, to deals, deal flow and stuff. Right. But mm. the information is out there. And that's a huge difference from mm. what was before. Because mm. what you could do is the deal flow is just find the deal that you need. So find one person. Yeah. So, you know, okay, I need to be on a platform rather than launching my own because I don't have enough followers. Okay, do some, mm. figure out, you know. So, so uh, I guess, yeah, we, we, we talked a little bit about, about channel80.live. Um, what else do you see? Uh, so, so a problem with, you know, with live streaming to me is the, is the ceiling and like, mm. what is sustainable? Mm. How much can an artist do this? Cause like, if it's online, I start seeing geofencing. Um, I think you yeah. wrote about lion babe geofencing, but like, to me personally, that looks ridiculous. And it's like, I don't think that's like, no one wants that. Like, okay, cool. We're going to do our Tucson, Arizona live stream. Cause it's mm. not, it's, it's like, imagine the person doing it. Like, okay, cool. This one's mm. for just do it, you know, do it. 30 second. Hey, Tucson. What's up, Tucson? Like only you're seeing this. Like that's just reductive and fragmenting mm-hmm. it in a way that, that sucks. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. What, what do you see people doing that's, that's cool? And where do you see it headed? Yeah. So, so I think with Lion Babe specifically, um, there, were, there were other artists who were geofencing. I think she did not geofence, but she like uh, partnered with local venues or event promoters in specific cities and went live on their Instagram pages, which were public. Um, that it was like, a kind of, I guess, more focused appearances in that sense. Um, That's cool. But yeah, in terms of where, where live streaming is going. So. Like how does it become even one-tenth of what a tour and a real live tour right, would look right. like? Right, yeah. So, so yeah, so the one dominant model that's out there right now that a lot of musicians are adopting, which is absolutely not for everybody. Um, and it's very much molded to the platforms that already exist. Like Twitch is basically the gaming streamer model. So like th- there are some musicians, uh, I would say Kenny Beats is like the best example of this. He like goes live every weekday, I think. Um, and like does a mix of music production and like chatting with friends or like, um, or yeah, or just like chatting with fans as well, like through video chat. Like, that is not a live stream concert. That's a, that's a very episodic show. It's like, he might as well just be like a vlogger on YouTube. Um, his videos just happen to be like three hours instead of 20 minutes and they happen to be live. So like, they're super interactive. Um, that, does he, how does he monetize that? So uh, I think most of his streams are available only to um, monthly subscribers on Twitch. So if you, it's, it's $5 a month, I believe. Um, and he has like, uh, anywhere between like several hundred, I think over a thousand subscribers on Twitch. So it's, it's like a good revenue stream, um, for him, but definitely like there are a lot of artists who would not want to put in that effort to, um, to stream for like three, four hours a day. So that's what, so he, so he's charges $5 to a thousand people. Yeah. A little over a thousand people. So that's $5,000. Yeah. Kenny Beats probably gets 30 K to do a DJ set at. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah so that's uh that's so talk you, you, you know it's like it's like oh i see fuck, yeah. like I, I just mean you know so and he does that every day and it's cool that he could have this like ancillary thing but like i just what hip-hop djs like of his caliber get mm. you know for appearance dj fees like mm. shit yeah um yeah so the, the money absolutely is not there um, I guess the trade-off for now is in is in getting to reach a global audience instantly, as opposed yes. to, like a lot of the mental and emotional tech like taxation of touring, is about having to like play the same show over and over again to like a much smaller audience. It's like uh, for a lot of reasons, like totally. environmentally, also it's like not as sustainable. Um, but obviously, crazy yeah, like, life... too, just mental health wise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like live streaming obviously comes with its own challenges in terms of like stamina around like keeping it up. Um, yeah, one, the old, uh, the, the, you know, the old model of like make an album, tour an album, like you can't, you can, like Nick Cave is doing one set for his, you know, to replace his tour and it's 20 mm, bucks and it's like, mm, that's it. Yeah, this is, this is also like another, um, yeah, like another inherent tension that I don't think has been quite solved yet is that touring the way touring is monetized is uh based on an, an inherent sense of scarcity mm-hmm. where like an artist is only performing in the city once or maybe twice in a year um, yeah that's only exactly. for yeah right only for maybe like 100 to a couple hundred a couple thousand people and so like that justifies the price whereas the live stream like, you at, can't replicate that it's it's really hard to replicate it. Uh, yeah, like the scarcity model where whether you like charge for tickets or like geofencer or whatever has not been proven. Like not many artists have done that. Um, and but then the alternative or at least like it, as an immediate reaction, like in March, a lot of artists just like wanted to put on live streams for free, which is the exact opposite of scarcity. It was like the aim was to be ubiquitous and like trying to reach as many people as possible. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like there is some it was like a race to ubiquity. Ground. It was like a race to yes. getting the deals. Yes. Like John Krasinski got a deal. Tory Lane's got a deal. Versus got a deal. Yes. Yep. Very few yep. people yep. got yep. deals, you know? Yep. Yeah. So the big, I think like as yet unanswered question is what is in the middle. And so this is absolutely related to fragmentation. I don't think a landscape where a lot like artists are just individually live streaming to their own like bubble of fans or maybe to like some maybe new fans who come in through some kind of discovery mechanism. I don't think that's like a sustainable fan experience. Like you can do that. Yeah. You can, you can do it like offered to your Patreon subscribers only, but like you could do that once in a while. Yeah. And it's, you know, Kenny beats is big and Kenny beats makes $5,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know what he makes to go play at a strip club. Right. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, so I so I'm much more interested in seeing like what kinds of more group or collective driven models are possible around. Have there been any streaming. music festivals doing anything worth paying attention to? So so the only like music festivals that I mean the only virtual music festivals that have taken place have mostly been one-off events. They haven't really been like a regular for charity things mostly. Series, right? yeah, yeah, for charity, which which is which is which is good. cool. And all. But um, but when thinking about it's like how yeah, how do you leverage yeah, Coachella like yes, not yes. as a four hundred dollar ticket for Coachella the 
you know, like because Coachella can't really replicate. I mean, sorry, Coachella cannot say like everyone expects the Coachella set now to be different from you used to go to Coachella for the community and for the the amount of artists that you wanted to see and the expectation that you would see um, things that you hadn't heard of. That used to be the reason why one goes to Coachella. Now they go there to be seen. And because the Coachella set of this particular artist is going to be better and bigger mm. and different, mm. full of other things that you can't see anywhere else. Mm. So how does Coachella do that when these artists are... So it's like, does the artist like withhold their, like, I'm going to sell to the highest bidder the time that I'm going to like do the collab live stream or something like that. Like what is the, you know, mm. what's the upsell of like, I'm going to perform lo-fi in my, you know, in my basement mm. with, you yeah. know, like what's the, I don't know. Like, how do you make it special? How do you make someone want to, how do you make someone want to tune in multiple times to you performing the same songs? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, a couple points here. So one, exactly that. I think it requires, rethinking touring as a concept entirely because you can't just play the same songs over and over again like you really do have to think uh whether episodically or just like keep keeping the um set interesting and so, okay one thing i thought a lot about especially like from, from the fans perspective is the, is like the concept of stage presence and what works with audience engagement like in a live stream versus in person because what, what I've seen a lot of live stream shows be like even now is that an artist will just like play straight through a song and then obviously there's no applause and so the art artist just like kind of looks at the screen and is like thank you and then moves <laughs> on to the next thing and which, which is fine it can be charming but like it's like I, I personally think it's you can't really copy and paste what you do obviously it like it, it can it takes a lot more work to come up with a new format, but if you just copy and paste what you did like on stage in person into live streaming format, it won't be as interesting. It's basically the same thing as radio, unless you're like dancing around and moving around a lot on the screen, in which case like, so like fans might not even like pay that much attention or even watch the right. stream. Um, so yeah, I, th I think for now, so based on like the, the mechanics of the platform that are growing the most, so like Instagram and Twitch, um, it favors artists who are comfortable with releasing like videos more frequently or going live more frequently, um, who have the personality to like chat it up casually with viewers or with like guests, um, as opposed to like, just like giving a performance. Like it really has to be like deeper in some way. Um, so yeah, I've th like, I've heard more conversations about like live streaming subscription models that are more like centered around groups. Um, or on like venues who then just become curators, like they don't run a physical space, but they're still curating a certain kind of scene um, or like maybe artists from a certain city. Um, but yeah, that has like, I think going back to what I was saying earlier, the mindset is like really slowly shifting and like the models are still lagging behind in terms of um, how to actually sustain this long-term. Yeah, we have to figure it out soon. I think that a lot of people are just waiting for normal to come back and right, right. That's not. But it's not. That's yeah. that's my that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I I want to end on sort sort of more internally. Um, 
first of all, thank you so much. And and as as I was like describing, I was like, yeah, like we're just gonna end up riffing and like going on a bunch <laughs> of, you know. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to like go full in depth, like read the live stream article, you know, read the direct to fan article. This is all you know on Sherry's Patreon, and mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, what has been your both for pandemic time and in general, like your diet? Like not just what you eat, but mm-hmm. like the way you live kind of like mm. you, to fill your ideas and be, put yourself into the position to make stuff, to write, to mm. affect the world the, the way that you want to. You know, what do you read? What do you, I don't know, meditation, exercise, what, what, what's your life like? Mm. What do you think is important that helps you make stuff? Mm. Great question. Yeah. So yeah, so for me personally, from the very beginning, um, with like with, or with the pandemic, it maybe uh, absolutely prioritized health in a way that I think I wasn't really doing previously. Um, in terms of like definitely getting a lot more sleep on average, I think uh, eating more healthfully, um, definitely exercising more, which is like uh, better to do now that, uh, because it's summer in New York, so the weather is quite nice. Um, so that so that's one aspect, just taking health a lot more seriously and like it really hitting home that like I can't do any writing. You can't do any writing or art if you are if, if you're sick, if you're like if your body isn't um you know isn't functioning. So just like yeah, prioritizing that. Um yeah, early on as I mentioned, I was like consuming a lot more like escapist kind of long form um media and I think the escapism aspect has gone away somewhat, but the long form aspect is still there. Like, I uh, very much You're enjoy not subscribed watching. to Quibi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of many reasons why I have not watched a Quibi show. Yet. Oh, there's other reasons, really? There's other things that are wrong with Quibi? No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've like, uh, so I have, I have Netflix. I've like gone through a bunch of shows and like documentaries. In terms Are you of, a criterion like, movies, person? Like the, not yet, but, but I've definitely thought about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can just give you my Dropbox if you, if you want to oh, do some great. like criterion style watching. Awesome. Just Thank like you. artsy <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so, like more long form, uh, media. What else? Um, yeah, I like played a lot of games. I'm doing that a bit less nowadays. Um, I, I'm trying to spend less time on Twitter. I don't know how well it's working because I'm still spending a lot of time on it, but like, yeah, you know what, as you're talking, I'm like, back to the first question, like, how do you do your research? Who do you talk to? What's your like, yeah, like, what are you, are you sourcing things? Are you calling people to get numbers, Mm. reports? Are you reading things in the public? Like, Mm. are you, are you combing through social media in a way that like, is just more intense than the average person? Yeah. How do you, how do you Mm. find all this? Yeah, I would say I definitely do more combing than the average person. Um, I, I don't write this on my Patreon page, but I have like an unofficial goal for myself to always uh, write an article that has not yet been written. And I like, I take that really seriously in terms of like, whether it's like the, the angle or like, the key arguments, um, or like the combination of companies or like questions mentioned. So 
I have like that on your on your like little description thing. I think that's really nice. yeah, uh, like like I, a, I a guarantee. So. Yeah, I mean that's or not even a guarantee, just like. That, that, that's how I approach my, you know, it's, it's framework to me. Mm. Framework is like everything mm. that mm. we could do, mm. you know? So when we talk about words like intention, you know, the nounifying of, of our lives, mm. yeah. like framework is the only, all of it, all the nouns just add up to framework. Yeah. And it's like, what is the, this person's framework? So that, that's what I try mm. and communicate. You know, what's the point w- when I approach this show? Yes. I inherit, you know, I, 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 um, I gobble up a lot of information, but when we hit record, that information is out the window and I'm just, mm. I just want to represent ideas and explore things and create understanding. I, my, my hierarchy is, you know, understanding is above expression and mm. I see the, you know, the process of art thinking, you know, it's the distillation of the expressions into understanding. Mm. So that, that's like mm. what the purpose of this, you know, if there's something that I want to happen on this show between you and I, it's mm-hmm. like we both have information. We both have expressed, mm-hmm. and we are now going to distill mm. for someone to understand. That's the idea. So I think, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that framework of like I'm trying to write an article that has not been written yet is something yeah. that I would look at and be like, oh, cool. This person is not giving me the junket, not giving me the one sheet of the day, not giving this not Vox. This is right. not you right. know the summary of be in the know. Yeah. And that's, that's a, an important differentiating factor not it's also not like this is the in-depth on the topic of the week it's right right i am going into something that isn't out there elsewhere and that's valuable i think cool i appreciate you (laughs) saying that yeah (laughs) yeah i might add that to the homepage in that case yeah but um yeah so in in pursuit of that goal i have uh like a google alerts filter in my inbox that i come through like uh a couple times a week uh, with like just tracking various tags like music streaming, music tech, music startups, uh, music funding, um, just to make sure I'm not missing any stories or uh, that also helps just like pick up if there are, are like certain trends. If for instance, it's like certain kinds of startups are starting to come up um, all tackling a similar issue. That's like a big signal for me. So I'll like look more into that. Um, Twitter has been super helpful in terms of um, getting access to a absolutely like a wider diverse, more diverse range of sources for stories than I would otherwise get just from like press releases. Cause mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like in, in PR, it's obviously very curated, like which kind of person is um, presented to speak on a certain topic on behalf of a right. company. Right, right. Um, whereas on Twitter, I found that I, it's been much easier to find like whether it's people like working for themselves with their own companies or at like smaller companies or like agencies or management firms or um, yeah, just like people who you uh, would not, uh, would not otherwise see presented in the media as like people who would be willing to, or able to speak on a certain topic. So for like sources, Twitter has been super helpful. Um, I, yeah, occasionally I will also just email people directly if I've like interviewed them before just, just to get their thoughts, like, either on or off the record on a certain topic. Um, But yeah, I would say in terms of my story ideas, um, mostly just like scouring the internet actually. So so just like seeing what has been written. So seeing what has been written and like what's gaining traction, which I think is important to know about, but then also seeing like what angles um, in those stories have not been explored yet. And then then going from there. Do you you dig for sources? Do you like, 
talk to people like industry oh, people yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not, not for all my articles, but for most of them, I would say I try to interview at least three people. That's my, um, benchmark. So yeah, that, that, that at least like quite a lot of calls every week. Um, especially if I'm writing about, uh, startups, I try to like talk with as many founders as I can working in this space. Um, definitely try to talk to more artists nowadays. Um, cause I feel like their input is often left out of articles, at least that are written about tech yeah. or like about streaming. Um, do you tend to go through PRs or do you end up getting in touch? Um, I think I, I, I prefer to reach out to people directly. Um, yeah, or just as, as a general matter of principle, I won't write a piece solely based off of uh, like a press release or a pitch. But oh if, yeah, oh if, no, no, I didn't yeah. even mean it like yeah. that. I meant literally like when you want to talk to someone, do you like yeah. when you do? So the I'll, yeah, I'll usually I'll usually only go yeah. through PR if it's like with maybe a, like a higher profile executive in a mm. company with like a stricter. PR strategy where like that is probably the only option. I used to get in yeah. trouble at Apple all the time. Oh, really? For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Apple, great example. Yeah. Because yeah. we're not allowed company. to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like tweet something and it would have like a vague reference to something and it wouldn't be exactly about it because I did oh, basically okay. follow yeah. the rules. But then I'd like get a call sometimes from like head of iTunes or something and be like, hey man, like, can you take that tweet down and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. And people would like, because I did other things too. So people would like, add apple music to my like description in things that it wasn't supposed mm. to be in and i'd mm. get in trouble for that and then i'd hear it from someone else like third down the line and i'd be like wait i had nothing to do with this this like just because mm. some asshole like assigned my name to something like mm. you know yeah it's really it's really hectic i'm not mm. interested in navigating that yeah yeah <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> definitely have to like kind of tiptoe around it a lot of the time yeah, yeah it sucks. Um, but yeah whenever possible trying to like talk directly with people um and like usually yeah in which case i usually connect with them through twitter or like people have been surprisingly responsive on linkedin as well if i just like reach out to them um yeah. for a chat so yeah cool well yo i mean we got to like one tenth of the notes that that, you know, that, yeah. that i made <laughs> which is exactly what i expected i i knew it and we've already talked for forever so thank you so much for mm-hmm. uh you know for your time and for your work and and your insight um i think it's thank very you. important the work that you do for the reasons cited previously that this information needs to be out there mm. much more it's much more valuable like the work that you do than it is like people making fucking petitions to say like, you know, sign more black artists or whatever. Like it's way more Mm. impactful to get the information to people to allow them to go elevate themselves. Mm. That is in my humble opinion, the answer, you know, that's, Mm. that's the path forward is Mm. share the information and access and partnership, create those connections that allow people to elevate. That is the answer, right. not petitions, not, you know, once in a while, yes, there are going to be world shaking moments where we force, force action. And that's beautiful. It's happened mm. recently and that's great, but it's not going to be that way forever. And that's kind of what I was getting into with the, emo- you know, the mm, motivation where like, of like, if we have to get George Floyd rallies every single time I see. that we yeah. need to get something done, like there's not enough tragedy in the world for that to, mm. to drive mm-hmm. things. So I think it's the spread of information the connections and, and, you know, the, uh, the, the individual growth 
and the community growth that mm-hmm. happens from stuff like your, your writing. So I, I love what you do mm-hmm. and I appreciate you. And thank you for being a part of, of my, my little show. Yeah. I hope, thank you. I hope to awesome. do tea in person sometime in the new world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you again. It's great to meet and um, enjoy the week. Have a, have a productive yeah. one. I look thank forward you. to the next article. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. If you're watching this on video, you'll see my black glasses I'm wearing. They're by Genesee, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, an eyewear company out of Flint, Michigan, founded, owned, and operated by my friend, Ali Rose. They employ the structurally unemployable locals and recently incarcerated. They are made from recycled plastic water bottles. They're the first eyewear brand in the U.S. to be completely circular economy. They donate 1% of their net proceeds to Flint Kids Fund, aiding in the long-term health and development of those affected by the Flint water crisis. I really like them. I wear them all the time. They're female-founded. They check a lot of boxes of things that I support, and they offered you guys a discount of, I think, 20%, something like that. So type in tea with SG at www.genesee.com, G-E-N-U-S-E-E.com, and get yourself a pair.